All right. Hello, everybody. We're going to get right into the Word here this morning. We're a church that believes in the Bible. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> yeah, it's so good to be back. Uh, a lot of you uh, might might know that my wife and I were blessed to be able to get away for a few weeks in Maui, and uh, I'm back, and uh, not sure, you know, I want to see you if I'm not sure about this cold weather here we got going on. You know, wearing socks and long pants is overrated, I think. But uh, anyway, uh, this this week uh, I was involved as uh, just, a, just a participant in three different memorial services, and so it's been quite a, um, an interesting week for me coming back. Uh, but it's good to be back. It's good to see you. You all look really good to me. Isn't that great? You do look good. And if, if, you're, if you're new here, we're glad that you're here. If you're not so new, we're, we're good to, glad to see you too. We're planning to start this series. Uh, it's about six weeks. There's five weeks in March. Then one more week we'll be doing this in April as well, which is the, the week before Easter. Can you believe it? Uh, now it's March, so I guess spring is on the way, they say. Uh, I hope we feel it soon. But uh, with, with Ezekiel, now Ezekiel is an interesting book. Um, crazy different, crazy weird. Have you read Ezekiel lately? Anybody read Ezekiel in the last year? Okay, some of you have read Ezekiel in the last year. Some of you read through the Bible every year. But uh, a lot of times, a lot of people kind of skip over a lot of Ezekiel, including me. Uh, but I have, read the, I, I have read the whole book, you know, more than once. But what we're decided to do, instead of trying to preach a series on all of Ezekiel, uh, we're, we're going to do just uh, six weeks, which it could take, you know, a year. But we're doing six weeks, and there's uh, six different visions found in Ezekiel that we'll be highlighting. And so today we're going to start in a good place to start. This is really amazing. You'll be, your mind will be blown, but we're going to start at the beginning of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel chapter 1 today. And today it's, it's the vision, vision of, the, of the cherubim and the, the wheels, the famous wheels of Ezekiel, a wheel within a wheel. Uh, next week, uh, God willing, Pastor Matt will be preaching on the call of God, and there's a couple of visions that talk about visions of Jerusalem, uh, talking about our heart, uh, vision of dry bones as restoration, vision of the new temple and the glory of God. And uh, the, finally, at the end of the uh, book is the vision of the river, some amazing visions. And the, the title of this series is Divine Intersections. And this guy, uh, Ezekiel, he, it was an interesting situation, of course. He, um, in, in the, first, uh, the first few verses of the book, uh, they, they talk about this. Uh, but let me just come back to it. We're going to be describing cherubims and cherubs. Cherub is singular and cherubim is plural. But uh, we, we in our day have uh, some, some funny ideas about cherubim and cherubs, and if you can take a peek at, at that picture there, uh, the uh, famous painter Raphael, uh, I can't tell you his whole name, but that's part of his name, and he, uh, he painted, this is actually just part of a much larger painting. Have you ever seen that 
picture before. Those, it looks like, you know, when we think of cherubs or cherubim, we think about that. But I, I want to just show you, this is, this is part of the illustration. Now, it's starting to get weird. Have you noticed that it's starting to get weird yet? And so the, the cherubim that are actually in the Bible don't look cute like that. The cherubs actually have five, four faces. They've got a, a face that looks like a man. They've got a face that looks like a lion. They've got a face that looks like an ox. And they have a face that looks like an eagle. And so more, and then they have four wings, not two, but four. And they fly with two, and they have two that cover their, cover their body. And so a little bit, a little bit more like the, um, what we're going to see is that one right there that you see on the screen now. And that is not as cute, anywhere near as cute as the first one. And I was talking to someone earlier today, and they said, well, actually, I prefer the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, because it's nice. But, you know, what happens is we put God in our image. And we bring God down to our, like he did condescend and show himself uh, through Jesus Christ. But, you know, the God that we have to do with, the God with whom we are dealing, is nothing like you and me. He is far greater than you and I. And even the angels, even the cherubim, are nothing like those cutesy little things that you see. Now, we've got some, what do you call those angels that we have in? Yeah, Willow Creek. we got those Willow Creek angels, and they're such beautiful, you know, sort of feminine-looking and beautiful. Listen, I have not yet begun to blow our minds here. Actually, it's not me. It's, this, it's the vision that Ezekiel had. And uh, I, I can't wait to get into it because we're going to spend a lot of time just reading through this description and try to get our head around it. And so are, are you ready to, to dive in? Okay, let's pray. A lot of you are going, I'm not so sure about this. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we believe that every word of God will last forever. And uh, this book, this mystical, amazing book of Ezekiel, is meant for us, and I pray that you will teach us and lead us today by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first uh, few verses of the book give a setting for Ezekiel, and you know, we think of Israel, and we think of the Old Testament being set in the land of Israel, and this book is actually not set there, it is set in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And what had happened is that the people of Israel had fallen into idolatry. It had been predicted by Moses, actually, at the end of the book of, the Deuter of Deuteronomy. And the, the prediction was is that Israel was going to be held in captivity, but God would bring them back. And this book is part of uh, Ezekiel. It was actually part of those who were taken in captivity out of Israel and taken over to live in Iraq. Ezekiel was actually a priest. So he was a person that was involved with ministry, and he had a pretty good handle on the Word of God, and he had a pretty good handle on the ways of God. But he was, the Bible says, he was beside this place. It's called the Kibar River. 
frankly, I'm not exactly sure where it was, and it's probably not that in, not that interesting. But it's I know it's north of uh, the city of Babylon, and it, it goes on to say that it was he was 30 years old while I was with. This is the first verse of Ezekiel. In my 30th, I was 30 years old. I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kibar River in Babylon. I'm not sure where they live, but it was not the Ritz. It was not the, the best neighborhood. It could have been looking a lot like a refugee camp. Uh, it was definitely a prisoner of war camp. And uh, it, it says that it, it happened it, during the fifth year of the, the captivity of Jehoiachin. Now, Jehoiachin was the second last king of Judah. And he was taken captive, and he lived in, actually was in prison. He was actually in prison in Babylon uh, for many years, and it wasn't until he was uh, in his 30s. He, he was actually the king. Jehoiachin was the... That, did I say that right? Jehoiachin. Yeah, close enough. Jehoiachin. Uh, he, he was the king of Israel for when he was 18, and only for a few months before he got taken captive. So from when he was 18, he was a captive until he was... Uh, What's 18 and 37? Uh, who's good with math? When he was 55, I think that's what it was. Yeah, when he was 55, he was released from prison. And actually, there was a new king in Babylon, and he got to sit at the at the table. They gave him new clothes, and, you know, he got to be, uh, went from, you know, literally from rags to riches. But I digress because that's not really what we need to talk about here. So this is this is the setting. So here's Ezekiel. And he's with these prisoners of war in this foreign country. And he's, you know, trying to serve the Lord as best he can. There's, there's maybe there, I, don't, I was thinking about this. Did they have the kosher food for them? Probably not. You know, there's no temple. There, it, it was just, you know, total, total uh, change. A very, very, very difficult time. And the Lord gave a message to Ezekiel while he was there. Okay, so now we're just going to jump right in to what he saw, because he saw a vision. And this is the vision. We're just going to go through it, starting in verse 4. I looked and I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. So it wasn't just a gentle breeze, okay? We've got this storm, there's thunder, there's, there's lightning, there's brilliancy of light, a fire inside the cloud. And in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. And from the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. I already told you about that part. He goes on to describe them. Now, we just go ahead to the next slide, if you would, please, because we're upping the ante. Now, really, these are artists' uh, renderings, but the, it actually looked a lot more like that than the other two photos, which one was already strange and one was really cute. You still want to go back to the cute? I don't know. Uh, but this is, this is what the thing, this is what the, these... Uh, creatures looked like. Their legs were straight, their feet had hooves like those of a calf, and shone like burnished bronze. And under each of the four wings I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces 
and four wings. Verse 9. The wings of each living being touch the wings of the beings beside it, and each one moves straight forward in any direction without turning around because they had four faces. And so, you know, they could move this way, and there would be a face looking that way, and they could move this way, and there would be a face. And, of course, they didn't have to move their feet either. We'll get, we'll get into that. And they went in. This is verse, uh, uh, verse 10. Each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle at the back. And each had two pairs of outstretched wings, one pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. Uh, Verse 12, they went in whatever direction the Spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches, and lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them, and the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. Now, it's amazing. These four living creatures, they were called cherubim, and they are the same sort of family of angels that you'll find guarding the, uh, the, uh, the Garden of, of Eden. You know, there was an angel of fire, a, a cherubim, a cherub that was guarding the Garden of Eden and uh, the Tree of Life after Adam and Eve fell. And from Genesis and then right through to Revelation. In Revelation, if you start reading that book, which again is one of those mystical books, very hard to understand in lots of ways, but you'll see a picture of heaven. And there are four living creatures, the Bible calls them, And they are, in another place, they're called cherubim. And in that case, they aren't, they don't have four faces. They just have, there's one that has the face of a man, one that has a face of of a lion, one that has a face of an eagle, and one that has a face of an ox. And these four living creatures are around the throne in John's vision in the book of Revelation. And they guard the presence of the Lord. Again, the cherubim are the the creatures that are on the Ark of the Covenant. And they were were golden uh, images there that were were there. And they guarded the presence of the Lord. In fact, God said, I'm going to be in the midst of the cherubim. So God's quite comfortable with these creatures, actually. He likes them around himself. And uh, in Revelation, they're actually worshipers. They're the ones that some of the... At one time, they are the ones who actually lead the worship in heaven because they lead out, worthy are you, Lord, and and they talk about the goodness of God. And then all of a sudden, everybody else is, you know, singing with them. So they're like worship leaders in the heavenlies. So they're, you know, amazing creatures. And they, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go on here. And so I looked at these beings now back here. Where am I here? Is it number 15? As I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. Now, there's going to be different pictures of these uh, wheels because we don't know exactly what they look like. Uh, the wheels sparkled 
as if made of beryl, which is a gold-colored gem. I looked that up. I didn't know what, I knew beryl was a gem, but I didn't know what it was. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. Some people think it was crosswise at 90 degrees this way, and some people think it's this way. Uh, You'll have to decide. Uh, All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it, and the beings could move in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. And the rims of the four wheels, this is verse 18, the rims of the four wheels were tall and frightening, and they were covered with eyes all around. So the wheels have got eyes. Go figure. And when the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And when they flew upward, the wheels went up too, because the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. And so wherever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. Is this getting weird? When the living beings moved, the wheels moved. This is verse 21. When the beings stopped, the wheels stopped. When the beings flew upward, the wheels rose up, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Verse 22. Spread out. Oh, before I get there. So we've got these... the angels, we've got the, the living beings, we've got the, the, the cherubim, and there's, there's four of them with four faces, and their, their wings are covered with eyes, and their bodies are covered with eyes, and the wheels are covered with eyes. Yeah, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, that's what it was. Okay, so, so that's that. So you've got the cherubim, and you've got the wheels. And then over them, you have a surface like the sky, glittering like crystal. And beneath the surface, the wings of each living being stretched out to touch the other's wings, and each had two wings covering its body. I'm on, I'm on 22, and that's where it shouldn't be. I'm on 26. Okay. Above this surface was something. No. Am I mixed up here? Okay, yeah, okay. Beneath the surface, yeah, verse, verse 23. Okay, now verse 24. As they flew, okay, now verse 24. Now, my wife actually took this picture because this, this verse talks about the sound of the waves. And this is one of the places that we went to walk in, in, in Hawaii. I wanted to bring, you know, Hawaii back to you. Okay, just uh, thought you'd... sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore, or like the voice of the Almighty, or like a shouting of a mighty army. And when they stopped, they let down their wings. And as they stood with wings lowered, a voice spoke from beyond the crystal surface above them. So now we've got the, we've got the creature, we've got the wheels, we've got this almost looks like the sky, and we've got the noise of them, of these angels uh, flapping their wings. It sounds like waves crashing against the against the uh, the, the shore. Okay. Now sapphire. Now sapphire. I, I read about this. You, you ever heard of the color royal blue? Well, they would make blue uh, out of out of uh, sapphire and other related 
rocks and gemstones. And they were so valuable back in those days that it was as, as expensive as, ex, as gold was. And uh, only the very wealthy could make clothing that was blue. Uh, that's why it's royal blue, because usually just the, the kings and, and the, the, the uh, very big shot kind of people were able to afford royal blue. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. Now, there is a man on the throne of heaven as we speak right now. And when you read the, the descriptions of heaven found in Revelation, there's a lot of, of commonality with this particular vision as well. And uh, verse 27, From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like a gleaming amber flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame shining with splendor. And all around him was a glowing halo like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked to me. Verse 18. Here it is. Here's the point. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. Because when we come into the presence of God Almighty, God's voice is there. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to me. And uh, it's not a show. You know, the, the cherubim and the wheels and the, the crystal sort of sky on one side and platform on the other, the throne, the blue throne above, and then the, the presence of Almighty God on the throne. It's not meant just to be, oh, wow, that's amazing. Then we go back to Babylon and River Chabar and kind of just keep on doing my own thing. No. God has something to say to us. God wants to speak to us when we come into his presence. And that's what happened here in this story. Now, Pastor Matt is going to be preaching on that, God willing, next week, what the, what the conversation was. But I want to, I'm just ready to close here pretty quick, and then we're going to have communion. But there's, there's actually four things I wanted to talk about from this story, and uh, some will be quicker than others, but there's four takeaways, and I, I kind of titled this Describing the Undescribable. Because, you know, he saw this vision, and he's trying to describe it, and, you know, no man looks like that, but it looked like a man. And he goes on and on and on. And, you know, were they feathers or were they made of, what were they made of? They were shining like fiery something, crystally. And he's trying to describe all this stuff, and, and he couldn't do it. But I think what we need to do is just kind of take the whole story and go, okay, so that was an amazing experience. That was a vision that Ezekiel had. He was there just doing his own, minding his own business, as a prisoner of war, and there it was. And he had been there five years. I don't know what happened in the previous five years, but probably life went on, and it wasn't fun. But then he got this amazing vision. Now, I don't know how many other visions he had. He had more after this one, which we will be talking about, God willing, in the next few weeks. 
But first of all, the four faces and the four creatures in Revelation uh, with the, the head of a lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle, uh, Bible scholars believe that th- this, is, this was sort of like the foundation of the throne, right? You got this, these four living creatures, and they're the foundation of the throne in this vision. They're gathered around the throne in the vision in Revelation. But these four creatures, a lot of people believe that they represent the four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, the reason that there's four different faces is because there's four different approaches that the, the Gospels, the four different Gospels, have as they tell the story of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew uh, speaks of the king, the fact that Jesus is the king of the Jews and is very strongly related to Jewish history. And uh, uh, so the lion represents Matthew. Now, Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. There's only 16 chapters, and it's all action. It's, it was actually written uh, in a Roman context, and, uh, and it was all about work. It was all about hard work, and Jesus did this, and he went there, and he was in a hurry to go there. And while he's going over here, he's interrupted, and there's all the, all the stories of the things that Jesus did. Matthew has a lot of the, a lot of the parables and far more references to the Old Testament. The Gospel of Luke was written in a Greek context, and uh, uh, it's the, this is represented by the face of a man, and uh, it, it's, it's all about Jesus the person, the Son of Man. Uh, it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all, there's a lot of uh, int- interesting information about women as well, in the book of Luke especially. And Luke is more the human side, the Son of Man side, of Jesus Christ. Then the Gospel of John is is quite a distinct, different book, and it's written uh, from a very strong Christian uh, uh but more uh, his divinity. And so that's the eagle that flies uh, soaring high, uh, high above. So that that's that's one thing that people believe about this. And I I thought, well, I I should at least tell you that much, because this this is <laughs> this is so different. Okay, so I'd also like to talk to you about two, three more things. Uh, and one is this, in God's presence, God's presence, we like to kind of run in and out of God's presence, and, and we, we walk and we do our own thing, and then when we get in trouble or when we're really happy or we, it's Sunday morning, you know, that's when we think about connecting with God so very often. But, you know, we cannot be casual with the presence of God. We cannot lose our awe at the presence of God. I mean, this, this is, this is a, a, it's actually scary to me, thinking about, you know, when you think about the little cherubs, the, you know, the cute little ones, angels aren't too, aren't too bad, right? And, of course, God presented himself to us and revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. And that, that made it so that we wouldn't run away and just not have anything to do with him. And so that was, Jesus is the connection. No one comes to the Father except through me. But So we have this warm, confident approach to the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. We can pray anytime. We can be anywhere. But God wants us to have a strong respect for God's presence. And I think if there's anything that we can take away from this vision is that there's a lot more to God than we think. And God is so powerful. His ways are so far above our ways. And he is the awesome, almighty, 
king of the universe with all the power, with all the power and all the glory. So we've got the ominous, glorious, majestic, even severe part of God. And then we've got the tender, the kind, the loving, and we have boldness all through Jesus Christ. That's the second thing. The third thing is all these eyes. What's that all about? You are not alone. And I really felt like someone needed to hear this this morning. I I had this in my notes, and I was preparing, and and I believe it's so true. There's two sides to the the omniscience of God, Uh, the fact that God knows everything. He sees everything. And, you know, there's the accountability part where, you know, if we're doing something wrong, God can see it. (laughs) So we got to kind of be aware of that. But also, God is watching over you tenderly. And God knows you. You are not alone. You are not unseen. You aren't on the outside looking in. God God sees you just as well as he sees anybody else. Those wheels were covered with eyes. And I don't understand. They were somewhat alive because the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. And I don't get it all. But I know there's all these eyes. And what's with that? God knows you. God sees you. You matter to him. What you're going through matters to God. And that's something that we can take away from these amazing pictures and a little scary, and at least to me. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm, I'm somewhat intrigued, but I'm more like, Ooh, okay, I got I to gotta, you know, watch what I'm doing here. God, God, God's, pretty, God's pretty serious. You know? These are, I mean, that's only the angel. <laughs> wait, 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 till you, wait till you get God, God going on here. And last but not least, and I, and I hope that you don't think this is uh, just pushing it too far. Do not be surprised at God's divine intersections in your life. There will be times in your life when there's a dramatic intersection between heaven and earth in your world. And we need to be willing to receive those things And we need to be willing to move with it and be part of it. Someone coined the term uh, supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. Because if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And you have been translated. You've been beamed me up scottiness. Taken, that's not a word. I just made it up just then. Taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of God's Son. And you are today. You're, the reality is, the reality is, is that you are seated together with Christ in heavenly places as I speak right now. We are heavenly people. We aren't better than other people, but we are not like other people. Because God has come into our life. And there's a divine intersection. And so often we want to fit into the world around us. And there's a good reason to want to fit in if that is to be able to relate to others to share the goodness of God. But we don't want to let the world squeeze us into its mold. We are not the same. 
And so there will be divine intersections. And in a few moments, Pastor John is going to lead us in, in um, communion. Uh, so if you can just kind of get your head around that. I'm just going to close with this one scripture in the book of Acts. Because this was the day that the church was born. On the day of Pentecost, about, about 50 days after the crucifixion. Or the resurrection, I should say. And, and here it is here in the book of Acts chapter 2. And this was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, and I, I wanted to include, sometimes I don't include everything, and I wanted to include this part. In the last days, God says. Okay, who, who's God? Well, you get a little glimpse of him on that blue throne, this fiery, awesome one who is the creator of the universe, all-powerful, He's not like the little baby cherubs. He's Almighty God, and He says, God says, I will pour out My Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Ezekiel saw a vision. Now, that's a vision. That was an intersection. But we should not be surprised if we have intersections in our life. Because God says, I will pour out my spirit, and you will see visions. You will have spiritual dreams. And in those days, I'll pour out my spirit even upon my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. They will speak for me under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And I will cause wonders. Okay, well, that vision was a wonder. At least it was to me. In the heavens, I'll cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. You know, I want to tell you, this seems just about as weird as the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. This is the prediction that we will be operating in things that are so different from what we're used to. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day the Lord Arise, but listen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And jumping down to verse 39, Peter said this. He said, this promise is for you and for your children and even for those who are far away. There's no outsiders. Everyone is part of this, and God wants to pour out his spirit upon you. Wow. Whew. I think I'm done. Pastor John is going to lead us in communion. So I think there will be some music. I think there will be people coming to serve the communion as well. If we can just transition um, right now. Pastor John, I don't know what else to say, so I'm going to stop. Wow. <clears throat> That was pretty heavy, Pastor Mike. I don't know about you all, but I got some wheels turning within wheels. <laughs> I'm just trying to absorb that one. In the old hippie days, you know, you'd have to be on an LSD trip to get that kind of vision. <laughs> Those old hippies used to say, you know, you, could, you got into this realm, but... 
It was like being up against a glass window. You could see the glory, but you couldn't partake. That's the, that's weird. I know, but there's a lot that we don't see. So I had a little inspiration for our uh, taking communion this morning. And uh, it has to do with that today, as we partake of the Lord's table, it's 40 days till Good Friday. So I think this could be a significant time to be at the Lord's table with a thought about Lent. Now, before you turn me off and say, well, that's kind of a traditional church thing, um, just just absorb this for a minute. You know, when I first came to uh, the Evangelistic Tabernacle, we didn't even celebrate Good Friday services because we were kind of a Pentecostal branch, and it was kind of like, we're the resurrection people, we've got the Holy Spirit, so we don't, we don't need all that church calendar stuff all that liturgy. But I think we're far enough along the road to know that all the traditions bring richness to the table. Right? So I want you to partake just a little bit this morning of the thought of Lent. And uh, in a minute, I'm going to have you guys serve communion. Just wait a sec. But um, no, actually, go ahead and serve right now. And everybody just take your bread and cup and hold it. Don't partake of it until I lead you into it. And as they're serving it, listen to me for a minute about Lent. How many of you know what Lent is? Raise your hand. How many of you don't really know what Lent is? It's that stuff that gets on your clothes, right? Lent? (laughs) Uh, Lent is a church tradition in the church calendar that was goes way back to the first couple of centuries in Christ, uh, post-Christ. So some people think, well, it's just a Catholic thing. And if you're not of a Catholic background, you might shy away of it because you're a Protestant. But there are Anglicans, there are Lutherans, there are all sorts of mainline denomination, and even some Baptists, and yes, even some Pentecostals that pay attention to the church calendar. We do it here before Christmas when we do the four Sundays of Advent. So here we are, 40 days away from Good Friday. And uh, as I was pondering this, I felt a a challenge in my own spirit, in my own spiritual walk, and I want to just pass it on to you today. I I felt a challenge to do something, and I don't think historically I've done much in Lent, but to exercise... Um, some discernment into my life and to engage in some spiritual disciplines that I need today, right now, to handle my spirituality in my life. Does anybody else need some of that? you got to manage yourself, right? Yeah. So Lent, part of the word is an old English word, comes from Linton, and it actually means spring. So if you kind of have a negative picture of Lent, think spring. We're headed to spring, right? The purpose of Lent is to prepare you for Easter Sunday. We're going to celebrate the resurrection. It's pretty cool 
that this coincides with the weather and the time of year and the calendar. And so we come out of the winter leanness and scarcity, and we can feel spring coming, and we're excited about it, right? But there's a spiritual parallel that I want you to get a hold of in your life. Sometimes you're getting lean in your soul. Any of you ever get lean in your soul? You're just kind of feeling drawn on and, you know, in, in, the, in the farmer's world, in the rural world, things get lean in the winter. You've eaten up the potatoes. There's not much left in the cellar. The new growth hasn't come. And it can be hungry times, especially February, March, April, before new growth starts coming in. So you feel hungry. You feel lean. Um, and so if we tie into the, the season as well as the spiritual season, let's plan on having just a great resurrection spring. The flowers are blooming. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Celebration of Easter. But before Easter comes what? Good Friday. It's Friday, but Sunday is a coming. That's right. You know that famous sermon. So I want you to stand with me and take the bread. Now here's how I felt challenged that I want to pass on to you. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you, which he gives for the life of the world. But he also said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as you take this bread that is Jesus' bread this morning, he said, you don't live by breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You don't live by what sustains you from this earth. You live by the bread of heaven. So, ask yourself, what in my life is encroaching upon my spiritual life? My feeding on God life. You know, people say, what are you giving up for Lent? And, you know, people can have some silly answers to that, you know, giving up coffee for Lent or whatever. But... It's not like, what can I give up to prove to God how spiritual I am? Right. It's, what is beginning to control my life that I don't want to control my life? Yeah. Now, when I thought about this, a couple of things came to mind. And I just had this feeling, you know, I'd really like to knock those things in the head. So you can fill in the blank. Maybe it's... Uh, binge-watching television. Maybe it's gluttony, certain kinds of food. Maybe you need to consider taking a day to fast over Lent or a couple of days. Or maybe you need to cut, you know, maybe you allow yourself a glass of wine, you know, at night or some other time. Nothing wrong with that. It's not anti-scriptural. People have different convictions about it. But sometimes that glass of wine can turn into a second glass of wine. Or a third glass of wine. 
And it's just getting to the point where you're drinking a whole bottle at night. And you know something's out of whack. And you need to bring it under. Are you getting me? So it might be appropriate to say for Lent, I'm not drinking any alcohol. I mean, maybe you don't anyway. Maybe that's not a thing for you. And you know all the other areas that can get hold of you, right? I don't have to list them right now. But with the Internet and all the things we see visually and all our physical propensities, there's many a thing that can start insidiously to be our bread. That we say, I'm going to stop eating that bread for Lent to break its power. And I want you, as we take this bread this morning, I'm just going to give you a minute to think. Is there something I should nail on the cross for Lent? So do it right now. Just you examine your life, your soul. What could use getting cut off for this next 40 days? Holy Spirit, help us point it out. Okay, you got it? How many of you got something? Two or three things. All right. Jesus took 40 days of fasting before he started his ministry. Elijah fasted for 40 days. Moses went 40 days. 40 days say, I'm just going to allow this spiritual discipline in my life so that God breaks the power of it in my life. Father, in Jesus' name, bless this bread, which is the body of Christ, and let it be our bread for the next 40 days till Good Friday when we take the bread and the cup again. Bless it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Eat it in remembrance of him. And after they had broken bread, Jesus took the cup and said, This is my blood of the new covenant. You know, the neat thing is, we don't have to do these disciplines to get to God. I could never work my way to God. I could never conquer all the sins in my life or the habits of my body or my head or soul. The blood says, well, you don't need to because Jesus already conquered it for you. That's the resurrection joy is that he did it for us. You're already accepted. If you give yourself to some discipline, it's not to gain favor with God. It's just to say you love him. You don't want anything ruling your life but him. Now, if I understand it right, on Good Friday, there's an interchurch service that we're participating in with the other churches in the community. We're going to have a joint service and break bread together on Good Friday. Wouldn't it be great, after you drink this cup, that the next time you take the bread and the cup will be with all your brothers and sisters in this community. And we're going to believe for God to bring some new resurrection life flooding into you as you dedicate this to God. Does that sound good? Father, bless this cup, the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you that we stand already justified. 
But in the strength of that, in the love of that, Lord, we want to be renewed. As Pastor Mike was encouraging us this morning, in the spirit of love, in the, in the intervention at this intersection of our life, bless this cup. In Jesus' name, drink it all in remembrance of him. Okay, awesome. I'm going to let you all go in a minute. While you Okay, collect, collect the cups. Just give it time to get those plastic cups in place. And uh, go out into the sunny world this afternoon with all those buds starting to swell, the flowers starting to come up. Be thankful you live in British Columbia instead of Winnipeg. Amen. Glory to God. This is God's country, but just make sure it doesn't become Sodom and Gomorrah because that that was a cool country too, but everybody got corrupted. So don't let the blessings bring you down. Thank God for them. Bring your life into some discipline. Go forth rejoicing in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Just to let you know, if you'd like personal prayer, we, as usual, we have people that will pray with you at the front. Just go with God now and be blessed, and the coffee is also on for you. Amen.